Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now I want you to know this. Nowhere in the Bible are we ever told to bind Satan or send him to the pit or send him anywhere for that matter or even talk to him. Years ago, somebody uh, asked me, they said, uh, when you're oppressed by Satan, what do you say to him? I said, I don't say anything to him. We're not on talking terms. I don't want to talk to him. The Bible is the source of authority. It's true that Jesus spoke to him, but I'm not Jesus. And Jesus cast out demons, but I'm not Jesus. And we haven't been told to do that kind of stuff. Supposedly, there was a new pastor who was asked to teach the teenage boys' Sunday school class one day when the regular teacher was on vacation. Well, he wanted to see what the boys knew, so he asked them who knocked down the walls of Jericho. All of them denied having done it, and the pastor was shocked by their ignorance of the Bible. So at the next deacon's meeting, he complained that not one boy in the class knew who brought down the walls of Jericho. After a long silence, one deacon finally said, I've known all those boys for years, and they wouldn't lie about that. Let's just pay for the repairs and forget about it. It is amazing how little some churchgoers know about God's Word. Welcome. You're listening to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He's leading us in a study of 2 Peter chapter 2, a passage that is not a lot of fun to read, but it is one that can help us avoid spiritual disasters. One of the most dangerous things we can do is to mess around with Satan. Back in my college days, I was attending a seminar on the occult. One young lady objected that she could come and go in that world as she pleased. Well, the speaker asked her to come down to where he stood, asked her her name, and shook her hand. He continued to discuss the subject with her, but he had hooked his middle and index finger on her wrist, so he didn't have to squeeze, but she was unable to get free. She started to get angry. He asked, did anyone force you to take my hand? No, she'd done it of her own free will. Then he told her, you thought you could come and go as you pleased, but I am not nearly as strong as the weakest demon, and here you are stuck. I'm a gentleman, so I'll let you go, but Satan is not a gentleman. One way false teachers demonstrate their arrogance is to take lightly the powers of darkness. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us more. It's one thing for Peter to say they're daring and and self-will, but hell. How did they evidence this? To what extent was their arrogance? Well, notice as he continues in verse 10, and I think this next phrase just uh, qualifies and, and clarifies what he's talking about. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. These false teachers were so arrogant that they actually were slandering or blaspheming, insulting, angels, and they weren't even afraid to do it. That's the amazing thing. That's the arrogance. In other words, they continually, and that's the the thought in the Greek here, they continually spoke out against angels without any sense of fear. 
I mean, it's one thing to speak out against angels and then duck. But they didn't do that. They didn't think lightning was going to strike them. They spoke out without any sense of fear. They were that daring, headstrong. Now, what is Peter referring to? There are some interpretive decisions that one must make as you go through this. What were these men specifically doing? Well, first of all, we need to understand what what Peter means by the word that is translated in my version, which is the New American Standard Bible, angelic majesties. The King James Version translates this word dignities. The New International Version translates this word celestial beings. And uh, so what that tells you is that we have to make an interpretive decision. Your, uh, your translators already have made an interpretive decision to some degree for you. But what, what does this mean? We have to decide. Well, literally, the, the literal Greek translation of this word is glories, glories. In fact, uh, if you sing the doxology, that's, that's where we get this word from, doxa, or we get, we get that term from it, doxa. Doxa would mean to, to praise and glorify God. But here, that's not what he's talking about. Most Bible scholars would say that glories really should be translated the glorious ones. The glorious ones. He's talking about beings here. But which glorious beings is he talking about? That's, that's, decision we have to make. He's talking not so much about the glories of Christ, but he's talking about the glorious beings. They slander and insult glorious beings. Now, basically, there are three choices to make. Three choices. There are some who believe that Peter was referring to local church leaders, to pastors. It's probably why the King James translates this dignities. And the thought is that the false teachers were slandering these pastors because they were criticizing their teacher and teaching. I mean, uh, it, you criticize me, I'm going to blast you away. And they were slandering them. Now, I think very highly of church leaders being one myself. And as a pastor, it really is an intriguing thought to be thought of as a glorious being. But I don't think that's biblical. I'd like to be thought of as glorious, but I can't cut it. So I I really don't think God in his word would refer to pastors as glorious beings, as fascinating as that might be. So we can eliminate that. We can eliminate that. The second choice is, is just by process of elimination is that it would appear that Peter was then referring to glorious beings that we know as angels. That's why you see the translation celestial beings and uh, angelic majesties. And this is supported by the context because in verse 11, he, he, he speaks about angels. Whereas angels, he says, and there's a passage in Jude, which is a parallel passage to this, in which he speaks about uh, two specific angels. He speaks about Michael, the archangel, and Satan, who is a fallen angel. So I think angels, we're, we're, we're on the right track here. He's referring to angels. But the question is, and this is the third choice that we have to make, the question is, which angels, which group of angels? Is he talking about holy angels who follow the Lord and serve him and serve you? Or is he referring to evil, fallen angels? Just angels doesn't, doesn't tell us. So we have to make a decision. Well, It seems to me that he must be referring to fallen angels, to to what we would call as demons. And I'll tell you why. Notice verse 11. We'll study it in context when we get to it. But but I just want you to see. He says, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them, 
these celestial beings before the Lord. Now, he makes a contrast between good angels who, who wouldn't do this. Good angels, he's talking about in verse 11, wouldn't do this. So it's a contrast. It's a contrast. He's, a, he's contrasting the glorious ones being slandered uh, with the false teacher and, and good angels and all that. So the glorious ones being slandered must be false angels. If there's a contrast with good angels, the contrast must be with them and false angels, fallen angels. It can't be good angels if that's who are they are contrasted with. So by process of elimination, it would appear that Peter is telling us that these false teachers were slandering, insulting, blaspheming, railing against fallen angels, demons. So I think that can be established. And that, that is how I think most Bible teachers would interpret this. Now, a good question to ask, and one that you probably have thought of already, is why were these false religious leaders speaking against evil fallen angels? And what were they saying? And on top of that, why would that be a bad thing? I mean, why is it bad to speak evil of somebody who's evil? Because they're, they're evil. They're wicked. Well, first of all, we have to be very honest and, and, and with the passage and say that Peter just doesn't tell us how or why they were slandering fallen angels. We don't know. We can't be dogmatic on it. We can't be sure of what was going on. But I do think we can take some educated guesses and understand their only guesses. It may very well be that since the church leaders, such as Peter, were accusing the false teachers of being in league with Satan, and they certainly were. I mean, Paul said that false teachers proclaim doctrines of demons. Peter is certainly saying that they are diabolical, satanic. Uh, it may very well be that since true leaders were blasting them like that and saying that they're in league with Satan, then these false teachers reacted to that by ridiculing Satan, by mocking him, by insulting Satan. In other words, they may have made a joke out of, out of this accusation. Yeah, I'm in league with Satan. Here's what I think of Satan and just, and just blasphemed them and demons. That may have been what they were doing. It's also very possible that since they uh, were so opposed to judgment, and we know that that's why they denied the second coming of Christ, because he comes in judgment, that may be what they were doing is saying, look, we think so little of judgment and your doctrine of judgment, uh, your, your Bible, your scripture says that fallen angels are judged. We mock them to show you what we think about judgment. It may have been that. May have been a combination. May not have been that at all. But that's very plausible. They were doing something like this. We just have not been given enough information to know why or what they were saying about fallen angels. But, however, we do have some modern day um, applications that that fit. We do have false teachers today who slander demons. And let me tell you how. They may not deny, although there are certainly liberal theologians who are false teachers who deny Satan's existence, but there are others who show absolutely no respect to Satan in the way they speak about him, in the way they speak to him, and in their attitudes towards Satan. Let me explain. There are many leaders within the charismatic movement who talk a great deal about such things as, and I'm sure you're familiar with this terms because I get asked about this quite, quite frequently about binding Satan and sending him to the pit. 
And uh, some teach that they have all kinds of authority and power over Satan that gives them the right to order him anywhere they want to order him. There are some who think that they have been given the authority by Christ to cast out demons from people, and they therefore think and believe and practice this uh, exorcism. And this is often tied together with the belief that every sickness is attributed to the devil. And so if you have uh, diabetes, for example, you don't just have diabetes. They would say you've got the demon of diabetes. If you have a heart uh, ailment, they would say you have the demon of heart disease, and they would want to cast that out. That is very, very common in that movement. Now, whether the false teachers of Peter's day were involved in this sort of behavior or, or not, we just don't know. But certainly the attitude the attitude behind binding Satan, sending him to the pit, casting out demons, uh, speaking authoritatively strong words against demons, that's, that's the same spirit. That's the same principle. It, it's, it is an extreme arrogance that people demonstrate towards demons. Now, I want you to know this. Nowhere in the Bible are we ever told to bind Satan or send him to the pit or send him anywhere for that matter or even talk to him. Years ago, somebody uh, asked me, they said, uh, when you're oppressed by Satan, what do you say to him? I said, I don't say anything to him. We're not on talking terms. I don't want to talk to him. The Bible is the source of authority. It's true that Jesus spoke to him, but I'm not Jesus. And Jesus cast out demons, but I'm not Jesus. And we haven't been told to do that kind of stuff. And those are unbiblical concepts. In fact, First Peter, which we read before, five chapter five verses eight and nine, say that we are to be sober because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He is not bound. He's free. He's walking about. He's not bound, and you and I are not going to bind him. And the way to resist him, according to First Peter five. Peter says, resist him in your faith. That is, trust the Lord. Submit to the Lord. Don't worry about Satan. And that's where Paul wrote Ephesians 6, which says, make sure you're dressed for battle every day by taking on the armor of God. If God was wanted us to bind Satan, there would be a command in Scripture. There is no command. And I know, in fact, in the early service, someone said, well, what people say is that Jesus has given me the authority to do this. Well, where does it say that? It doesn't say that anywhere. You would think that if we're to do that kind of stuff and cast out demons and bind Satan and do anything like that, certainly in all the New Testament letters, there'd be one command. I mean, it's pretty important stuff. But there's not one command. You resist him by not telling him where to go, but by submitting to the Lord. James said in James 4, 7, Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. All right, well, how do I resist the devil? Well, the very phrase before that tells us how. Submit yourselves to God. Submit to God and he'll flee. What about binding him? Is he ever going to be bound? Well, not now, but in Revelation chapter 20. I'd like you to look at that. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. The Bible tells us following the seven-year tribulation period, just before the 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth, God is going to bind him, not us. He will be bound, but he's not bound now, and we're not going to do it. We don't have that kind of authority. Verse 1, 
Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss. The abyss would be the pit, the bottomless pit. And a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss. He shut it and sealed it over him so that he could not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. He's not bound today. He will be bound, but you and I aren't doing it. God is. What about casting demons out of people? Uh, It's not only the charismatic movement. I mean, I've got pastor friends who think that they're supposed to be doing this. What about that? Well, we have to say in apostolic days, in apostolic days, the Lord gave some people, not all, some people, the miraculous gift and, and, and power over demons. Certainly Paul had that, but that was a temporary situation. There were certain gifts in the early church that were only temporary, and I'll tell you why. It was important for a man like Paul, who went into uh, pagan Gentile communities, to be able to demonstrate some kind of miracle, because they didn't have the Bible, and Paul gets up and speaks about Christ. Why should they believe in Christ? Why There were a lot of religious people coming through, uh, peddling their message. How would we know Paul is different? Paul's not going to say, well, check it out in the Scriptures. Scriptures had, and the New Testament hadn't been written then. So they had some miracles authenticating his ministry. But listen, when the New Testament was written, you don't need that anymore. How do you know if somebody's a, a, a valid teacher or not? Paul said to the Thessalonians uh, that evaluate the spirits. Check that. How do you know? How do you know? You open your New Testament, you see if what the man taught is in the Bible, and if it is, then he is a valid teacher. If he messes up the, the passage, especially the gospel, he's a false teacher. That's how you know. And I'd like you to look at Hebrews chapter 2. Notice this. And I want you to just see that this was very temporary. Just go back a few books from Second Peter. Hebrews chapter 2. And you might say, well, that's an odd place to find something about casting out demons. Well, look at chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The writer says, how will we escape? Meaning, how will we escape judgment if we neglect so great a salvation? And then he explains about this salvation after it was at the first spoken through the Lord. The Lord was the first one who told us the details of salvation, the cross. It was confirmed to us by those who heard God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Notice the way the writer presents that. He's talking about the apostles here. First, Jesus told us about this salvation. Then the apostles told us, and God accompanied their message with signs and wonders, but it's in the past tense. Not something that's happening today. It's something that happened in the past. He's calling the people to look back. And when you first heard this message, you saw these miracles, but it's not going on all the time. It's something that that happened. There are things of the past. Now, let me tell you, there's a real danger in being involved in demon hunting and attempting to exercise a demon. Nowhere does Scripture command us to cast demons from anybody. Nowhere. First of all, they're not going to be in believers because they can't possess a believer. And secondly, if they are, and and there are uh, unbelievers who are demon-possessed, what they need is the gospel. You preach the gospel to them and they trust Christ, that demon's leaving. But I want to illustrate something. I'd like you to turn to Acts chapter 19. And there is a passage in Scripture that tells us the great danger, especially for a non-Christian, to rail against demons. 
and they suffered as a result of it. In Acts chapter 19, the context is Paul came to Ephesus. Paul came there and uh, he did have the authority and he did have the commission and the gifts from the Lord to cast out demons and do miracles. And there were some people very impressed with that. I mean, that's an impressive thing to do. That's a lot of power. That's authority. It's a lot that, that can be taken the wrong way. A lot of arrogance. Notice Acts 19, verse 13. But also some of the Jewish exorcists, these were professional exorcists who traveled around the empire, and uh, these were Jewish people, and they, uh, they, they, you know, read or said some kind of incantations over evil spirits, and supposedly they, they vanished. And they went from place to place. They attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, they didn't know Jesus. They weren't believers. They just heard Paul do this, so they thought, this is good. We'll impress people. We will fool the Ephesians with this little gimmick that we have. So it says in verse 14, seven sons of one Sceva, that's the name of this man, a Jewish chief priest. He was not a high priest. He probably was a self-proclaimed priest. They were doing this. Now, so you understand, these seven sons went to some people who they felt were demon-possessed, and they started trying to cast them out, saying, by the name of, of Jesus whom Paul preaches. That's a dangerous thing to do. Look at verse 15. The evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? What authority do you have over me? That's a scary thing. I mean, that, and, and look what happened. First, you want to know who they were. That's a dangerous thing when demons want to know who you are. And then he violently attacked them. Verse 16, the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on this is one man and because he's demon possessed and he leaped and he subdued all of them and he overpowered. These are seven sons, one man. And so they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You understand the power of a demon? And these false teachers were railing against demons. One demon overpowered seven grown men, and by the time they got out of the house, they were naked. That's real power. You don't, you don't want to trifle on that kind of stuff. So we can establish the fact today, many false teachers do display an arrogance, a, a pride towards demons by yelling at them and blasting them and railing against them as if God has given them authority to do that. They don't have that kind of authority. But in addition to demonstrating this arrogance uh, towards demons by speaking harshly, there is a second way in which false teachers today uh, rail against demons. Uh, some liberal theologians today demonstrate their arrogance towards Satan, Satan and demons by mocking their reality, by ridiculing their existence, by portraying the devil with such things as horns and a red cape and, and that tail. And, in other words, they trivialize and they mock the evil spirit world. Now, in light of that, I would just warn you about falling into the trap of being entertained by programs on television or movies that present Satan and demons in a very light and humorous manner. Such such movies as Ghostbusters. Don't watch that kind of stuff. Casper the Friendly Ghost. There are, there are no friendly ghosts. There are evil demons. And there is no such thing as a Casper uh, this is the time of the year that's Halloween. Be careful about it. There's going to be all kinds of things on TV about 
haunted house comedies. Be be aware of that stuff and and things that have to do with the scary, evil, wicked part of, of Halloween. You just don't want to take lightly the very serious, powerful creatures known as demons. So the principle that we want to grasp from 2 Peter 2.10 is that false teachers, regardless of what form their slander takes, whether they trivialize them or whether they uh, insult them with uh, harsh words and disrespectful language, all of that is to say they display incredible arrogance. Incredible arrogance. They are brazen. In 1969, as Hurricane Camille approached the Mississippi coast with 205-mile-per-hour winds, for some reason a group of people were having a hurricane party. The chief of police couldn't talk them into leaving. And no one ever found out why they wanted to stick it out 250 feet from the shoreline because everyone there died except one five-year-old boy found clinging to a mattress the next day. Arrogance in the face of overwhelming power almost always ends in disaster. Thanks for joining us today for Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported program. If you've been encouraged in your faith, would you prayerfully consider helping to keep us on the air? You can find out more at versebyverseradio.org. In 2 Peter 10, we've seen the amazing arrogance of false teachers in railing against evil spirits. But if those spirits are so evil, what's wrong with blasting them from the pulpit? We'll consider that question on the next verse by verse as Pastor Steve leads us on to verse 11 of 2 